Let's dive right into God's Word. God's Word is really what we need this morning. Last week, when we uh, covered Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we received a full four-course meal, we called it. Uh, there were four elements in that passage. It was like gaining a, a meal. That, that passage was really meant to fill us up spiritually. We were supposed to feel like by the end of that, like, man, that was, that was just delicious. I, I don't, but I don't think I can take another, uh, another spiritual bite. It was just supposed to fill us up and last us all week. But this week, the preacher, uh, he's going to take a different uh, approach. He's, he's going to uh, switch up the menu because he knows we like variety. Now, he doesn't give us any chocolates. He doesn't give us any coffee, Carolyn. But, uh, but if you're like me, um, then, then, then you... When you're eating something, you like a certain food, but then you want to you wanna switch it up. So like for me, if, if you're eating Chinese food one day and you're just eating the crab rangoons, and can we just have a moment of silence for crab rangoons? Just so delicious. Just a little bit of heaven on earth. Thank you, Rick. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you. Uh, just amazing. Like I just, I could eat all the crab rangoons in that box. And, but then after that, the next day, I'm, I'm tired of that. Then I want burgers. Um, and then the next day, I want a little bit of, maybe it's a Mexican. Maybe I want a burrito. And then after that, maybe I want some Italian. Give me some spaghetti and meatballs. And then the, the, the time after that, the next day, I want some Middle Eastern and so on and so forth. If you're like me, uh, we, we humans, we like to switch up our menu and keep things fresh. The preacher does this as well with spiritual food. He knows that's how we are when it comes to our uh, taking in God's word. So instead of giving us a massive four-course uh, meal this morning, this, uh, what he's going to do is he's going to serve us two stories, and then he's just going to offer us two simple applications to those stories. And you might ask, why stories? Why would he switch this uh, so, so quickly? Well, stories are universal. Stories help us to understand our world, but more importantly, they help us to understand ourselves. When you can see the struggles in another person, and you can see it and hear it and watch it, people who are just like us, then it's easier for us to acknowledge and recognize our own struggles. We realize as we're listening to the struggle, we're not alone, uh, and, and we don't have to pretend to really have it all figured out. For all of time, there's no normal humans have everything figured out. And this doesn't really negate the truth of last week. Remember last week we were told that God is our builder and we are God's house. We don't build ourselves, but, but God builds us and that's really good news. But here's the real life reality that we're going to wrestle with today. Over time, houses fall apart. Sometimes, if we're the house, sometimes our electricity goes out. Sometimes our foundation begins to crack. Sometimes our paint begins to chip and our spiritual paint, our spiritual foundations, the spiritual side of us um, begins to struggle. Each of us has a struggle, do we not? Everyone struggles at some point in some way. Sometimes our walk with God, if we're honest, it just gets a bit worn out. It, it gets a little bit weathered. It gets a little bit torn up. Sometimes the elements of our world, they wreak havoc on us, and it leads to us needing some spiritual repairs. Sometimes we lose hope. Sometimes we lose direction. Sometimes we lose faith. 
if these struggles are not acknowledged, if they are not addressed, if we keep them secret and, and, and we're not able to begin to work to overcome them, then they can become devastating to our walk with God. The same thing that's true of you is the same thing that's true of me. Imagine if a tree comes in and knocks down part of your wall in your living room. And now there's a big hole that, that, that now all the snow and the wind can come through. That's going to be quite expensive and problematic, especially during the winter season, especially when it's this cold outside. It, it might just be a little bit of a hole that, that, that was made in the wall, but it's going to do a lot of damage to your house and it's going to raise your uh, heating bill um, way too high. So it is with our walk with God. What happens if our life with God has a hole in it? What happens if our life with God starts to be challenged in that way? What happens if we get damaged spiritually? If we lose sight of who Jesus is, then I think we forget about God's encouragement. We begin to forget about God's power. And then we start to lose our hope and we start to lose our boldness in our world. Our faith may even begin to fade. These things happen over time in real life. These real struggles become part of our real story. You and I are always in danger of losing our faith because in this world, we really do have real tribulations. And, and Jesus predicted that it would be this way. So in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, what the preacher does is he's going to start reminding his people of two times in the past where God's people have faded in their faith. He's hoping that if you can see what it looks like in someone else, then you might be able to identify those places in your own life where you also may be fading in your faith. Then after reminding us of those stories, he's going to give us two solutions, two ways we can be different, two ways we can overcome the unbelief that is always like seeping in through the cracks in the walls of our spirituality and in, in our walk with God that, that that unbelief begins to seep in. So he's going to say, here's two stories to show you what that looks like, and here's two ways to overcome it. Thankfully, God has the resources to help us overcome. As you'll see, his applications are very practical. They're very doable. They're very realistic. Therefore, we can keep the faith. That's, that's where we're going in this passage, V. Raymond Edmond once said, faith makes the up look good and the outlook bright and the in look favorable and the future look glorious. It does something to your perception. The Hebrews needed some of that in the first century and we all need a bit of that in 2021, even this morning. So that's where we're headed this today. So let's get into the first story so you can see what I mean. The preacher alludes to it when he quotes Psalm 95 right away in Hebrews 3 verse 7. Psalm 95 was one of their favorite psalms um, that, they, that they repeated all the time in their worship services back then. Uh, they, they knew those words by heart. So he begins quoting Psalm 95, and the words in Psalm 95 harken back all the way to Exodus chapter 17, right after God rescues his people from Egypt. And now we enter into that story, which begins in the second book of the Bible. So let's enter in for just a minute. Let's remember this story again. The book of Exodus begins with a careless king, a ruthless president. He was the evil pharaoh, and he was racist against anyone who was not Egyptian. So if you're here this morning and you're not Egyptian in origin, this pharaoh would not have liked you one bit. 
So what he does with God's people is he enslaves them. They were Israelites. They were not Egyptians. So he enslaves them. He afflicts them with heavy burdens, Exodus tells us. He oppresses God's people. He was ruthless with them. And we find out that God's people are enslaved for over 400 years. They didn't have to deal with COVID, but they did have to deal with corruption and enslavement and oppression. Not just for one year, not just for 10 years, not just for 100 years. Can you imagine? 400 years. And they cry out to God for help in Exodus 2.24. And it says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God had promised a long time ago that one day the Israelites would be a powerful people and they would take over a powerful land. And then in Exodus chapter 3, God begins to fulfill his promises for his people. Right away, God acts dramatically by speaking to Moses through a burning bush. And God decides to then just keep the miracles coming. Plague after plague after plague. Miracle after miracle after miracle. All throughout Exodus chapters 7 through 11, God shows his dramatic power and capability 10 times over. And actually even more than 10 times if you read it closely. God is just showing off in Exodus. He doesn't want anyone to doubt his power. He's like, if you need some rescue, let me show you what I'm capable of doing. And then finally, it's, it's midnight of that unforgettable night as all Israel was snug and secure in their beds with the pleasing aroma of roasted lamb hanging protectively over them. Then the destroyer strikes down the firstborn all of, of, of Egypt, signaling the end of 430 years of bondage. And then finally, stubborn Pharaoh, he, he summons Moses. He says, all right, I've had enough. Get out of here. Uh, your God is more powerful. He commands them to leave. He even asks Moses for a blessing on the, on, the, on the way out as they go. So as dawn broke, hundreds of thousands of Israelites, they begin an orderly, miraculous, dramatic, against all odds, exodus from Egypt. And then the and then they're just so proud as they leave. It's a proud departure with each tribe headed by its leaders. Israel left unexpectedly rich as well. In Exodus 12, 36, it says, The Egyptians gave the Israelites everything they asked for on the way out, so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. So God's people left not only their slavery behind, but also their poverty and then the most stu stupendous thing happens as they enter the wilderness. An immense pillar of cloud forms in the sky right in front of them just to kind of lead the way for where they need to go. It's like a tornado that protected them as they walked. And then at sunset, it became a pillar of fire so that every night was, was lighted by, by its swirling orange glow. What a spectacle that must have been against the backdrop of the star-studded Night sky, that Israel desert sky. Then, of course, there was the ill-fated pursuit of Pharaoh that trapped Israel against the sea. Remember, Pharaoh, he changed his mind. He comes back. He says, let's go get him. We can't, we can't get along. We can't do this without all of our slaves. But the pillar protectively, then it moves behind God's people, shielding the people from the Israelite, uh, from the Egyptian armies, providing light to the Israelites on one side, and then it's dark to all of the Egyptians. Moses then stretches forth his hand and an east wind began to howl, driving a dry path through the sea. So now they're going through this massive sea. 
And they're just following it, following the pillar to safety. And I've always wondered, what would it have been like to walk through that? Would it have been like SeaWorld? You ever been at SeaWorld and you see all the, all the sea animals, like where they're walking through, would they have seen the dolphins or the sharks or the fish? And would it just have been an amazing experience to walk through that? Wow, look what God is doing for us. Look how he's bringing us the rescue that we need. And then Pharaoh's army, they were following. They start to get into that water. They would have caught them, but then God made their chariot swerve out of control. The armies realized it's too late that God was fighting for Israel. And as they turned to flee at daybreak, Moses again stretches forth his hand and the sea engulfs the armies of Pharaoh. That's Exodus 14. And then at that point, it was clear the most powerful God on the planet is taking care of his people. And then in Exodus 15, God isn't done yet. The song of Moses, it rises to the heavens, right? At this point, the people are like, goodness gracious, this is amazing. Aaron's sister Miriam, she takes her tambourine in hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines. Everyone's dancing. Hundreds of thousands of people are dancing. Exodus 15, 21, they're saying, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. This is the most amazing thing that has happened. Can you believe it? And, and at this point, wild exaltation is just gripping the people. They're at the very high. They're experiencing a faith high. What a fabulous beginning. What hopes, what dreams. Soon they would be in the promised land and forever enter into their rest. This is what God has promised. God has miraculously made a way. And, and let, let's just, let's just think about this church. It's easy to praise God when you are winning, isn't it? When everything is going to plan, it's easy to sing that song. But it's not so easy when losses begin to add up, when surprises come, when we are detoured by our disappointment. Watch what happens so fast. Only a few days after all of God's provision, less than 30 days after they walk through the water, after they see all the plagues, it's a couple weeks later we hear in Exodus 16 verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And why would they grumble so quickly? Well, because they start to get hungry and there is not a McDonald's or Burger King for miles. And before we get mad at them, imagine what it's like. You are in the wilderness. There are a ton of people and there ain't no buffalo home on the range. There is no crab rangoons. There is no spaghetti and meatballs. There is no crunch wrap supreme. You are hungry and the fridge is empty and there is no grocery store around. So now you're not just hungry, now you're hangry. You ever been hangry before? Wouldn't your faith naturally fade just a little? They are like us. A food crisis leads to a faith crisis. They were like us a few months ago with all the toilet paper shortages. Remember that? We're freaking out. Oh my gosh, you got people having like eight toilet papers in their cart and some of us have none. We're like, what are we going to do? Imagine if that was like that for the food. They had no food. But God is like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God literally, he rains down bread for them. From the sky. Bread begins to fall from the sky. It's not quite the same as Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. You might have seen that movie. Not quite the same, but it's pretty close. Buckets of bread are falling from the sky. 
I'm guessing that was a cool thing to see. I bet it would have built their faith. They're like, wow, here God, here God, he's at it again. And then God, God pulls all, all, all of that off before noon. That's just the morning. At night, God does the same thing with quail. Now they had tasty meat, as much meat as you'd ever need for each day. God says, boom, here it is, boom, falls right in front of them. Wow, God provides all of it in an instant because God can. To God, this is all easy peasy lemon squeezy. He's like, this is your issue? Let me fix this real quick. And they keep losing their faith. So then God has Moses strike a random rock. And in that moment, God miraculously turns the rock into a fire hose of drinkable water. Boom. All of a sudden, water, there's like... Incredible. There are, no, there are no waterfalls in this part of the desert. They're thirsty. They get thirsty. They start to grumble again. Moses is like, what am I going to do with these people? God, you keep providing for us miraculously. They keep losing their faith. So then they can't drink. So then Moses strikes the rock. And in the process, Moses names that place Masa and Meribah. Say, Masa and Meribah. Masa and Meribah, that's just Hebrew. It means testing and rebellion. Because even though God took care of his people, they constantly tested God and rebelled against God. This becomes descriptive of the people overall. Those same exact terms of testing and rebellion in Exodus 17 show up in Hebrews 3, 7 and 8. When you read Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, this is the story that's running in the background of the people who are listening. The author of Hebrews is telling us the same struggles that the Israelites had in the wilderness are the same struggles that you are dealing with today. Since everything looks different and your terrain has changed and you don't see the finish line, now you are doubting God's capability And that's just the first story. The preacher in Hebrews then connects that story with another story, this time from the book of Numbers, chapter 14. Now he wants to shift their memory from how God's rescue started to how it all ended. And we know this one a little bit less. In Numbers 14, we get one of the most surprising and sad endings in Israelite history. At this point in their history, they had gotten to the edge of the promised land. This is what God had promised for them. Here it is. I'm going to bring you one day to this man, this land flowing with milk and honey. They get right here. God brought them all the way from Egypt to the brink of Canaan. They could see it. The land was theirs for the taking. God was like, here you go. I'm about to fulfill my promise. Go and get it. And what do they do? You remember? They send spies into the land to see what it's like. Let's do some reconnaissance. That's all fine, but then it all turns south. They form a committee. They have some meetings. And they start looking at the numbers, and they try to logic it all out, and they begin to do some human forecasting. Rather than putting their attention on God's promises and on God's character and on everything that God has done just recently, they analyze the situation from a human perspective. It's like Peter on the water, right? You see Jesus and you just take a couple seconds, you know, a couple steps and then all of a sudden you start to notice the circumstances around you and you get your eyes off of Jesus a few steps in and they look away. In other words, they lose sight of God. 
They lose sight of who God is. They lose sight of God's power. They lose sight of his character. They lose sight of all that God can do. They saw that the enemy was powerful. The enemy was intimidating. The enemy was strong. And they really were those people in that land. So of all the 12 spies who went in and saw the land, only two believed God could make it happen. Anyone remember? What were the names of those two people? Anyone remember? That's it. Joshua and Caleb. Only two believed, hey, you know what? We can still do this. I know it looks different around here. I know it's difficult. It can happen. Only Joshua and Caleb have that perspective. In that moment, everyone else hesitates. They play it safe. They tiptoe around. They decide to maintain. They stop. And what is the result? Their faith fades. Their failure to believe God and move in step with what God is doing is received by God as outright rejection. He's like, you are now rejecting me if you're going to look at that circumstance in that way. Come on. Don't you know who I am? It was at this moment that the glory cloud of the Lord appears in the tabernacle and thus ensued one of the most sobering moments in all of scripture. Here's what it says, Numbers 14, 11. How long will this people despise me, the Lord bellowed at Moses? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? What a moment. God has done all of this incredible stuff. Come on. How long do I got to do this? How quickly their faith fades. What a sad moment. What an embarrassing moment. What a shameful moment for the Israelites. And then comes the punishment. Since they were so cautious, they were so hesitant, they were so hard-hearted, they were so slow towards God's goodness, instead of entering the promised land, they are forced to wander in the desert for 40 years. 40 years of your life in the desert, wandering around, not allowed to go anywhere, no direction. And only Joshua and Caleb, who trusted the Lord, were allowed to see God's promise completely fulfilled. This is the second story that the preacher in Hebrews reminds them of. He highlights the begin, the beginning of their story and the end of their story because it's so alarming. Because it all began so wonderfully, but it ended tragically. The grand and terrible lesson of Israel's history is that it is possible to begin well and end poorly. In fact, the human tendency to doubt God dominates not just the Israelite people. It also haunts us the same way. Wouldn't you agree? Haven't you met a few people who started out well, but now they're nowhere to be found? Here's how I thought of it this week. Any of you ever played with those sparklers? Those fireworks? I wanted to bring one this morning and light it up, but I, I looked up and it technically it's a firework and it's illegal and we got some cops in here, so I didn't want to get shackled. So I'm not actually doing, I'm not doing the sparkler, but, but I think sometimes our spirituality, our spiritual life is like this, or maybe you've known some people like this, right? Boom, it starts and it's sparkling everywhere and it's shiny and awesome. And then in like three seconds, it's gone and it has faded and it's like you never would have known it happened. How can that even be a, a firework? Because it lasts for just a couple seconds. These stories aren't just about other people. They are about us, church. 
The preacher begins in Hebrews 3, 7 to 8 by saying, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. This isn't just a history lesson, Holden Chapel. This is a lesson for today. And it comes from the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is warning us from falling away from faith. Because the story of the Israelites is also the story of you and me. Over time, houses fall apart. Over time, our faith falters. I'm there too, church. So what is the solution? The preacher actually gives us two this morning. And I was taken aback by how simple both of them are. We see both of the solutions in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, which says this. We'll have it on the screen as well. It says, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Rather, exhort one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I think that solution means two things. I think number one, it means we have to pay attention to the unbelief in our lives. Notice, I'm not asking you if you have any unbelief in your life. I'm assuming you do, because the author assumes that you do. He is saying, don't just pay attention to what you do believe. Pay attention to what you don't believe. Especially when it comes to God. Holden Chapel, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, what is hard for you to believe about God? Is there any skepticism in you? Is there any confusion about God? Is there any haziness? Are there any doubts that you have within you? Any hesitations? Any fear? Any passivity? Any lack of trust? Any minimization of God's power within your mind or within your heart? Take care of that, brothers and sisters. If your circumstances seem more powerful than God's words and God's promises, then you are being like the Israelites in the wilderness. Confess that. Acknowledge that. Wrestle with that. Church, we need to repent of that We need to turn away from our unbelief. God knows you've got some questions. God knows you need some answers. So ask those questions. Be honest about your struggles. If you don't, then hardness and isolation is going to draw draw more and more into your heart. And and it's going to draw you away from that great shepherd of the sheep who can speak to you, and then you can hear his voice. If you aren't careful, your faith will fade. It's easy to think, well, that would happen to them, but it could never happen to me. But the author of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit is saying, today, this is also true of you. This is true of me. So today, we need to to search that out. So the first solution is to be honest about our unbelief, and we have to address it Appropriately, And then this is the last point, solution number two. Number two is I think that passage is saying we need to encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Look how simple that is. Everyone can do that. If you're young, you can do it. If you're old, you can do it. 
No matter what your background is, you can do it. Preach the truth to one another, church. Tell somebody the gospel. Look your friend in the eye and remind them, all hope is not lost, brother. All hope is not lost. God could take care of this. Sister, don't give up faith. God has this. God God has a name. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. Questions can be answered. Doubt can be overcome. Exhaustion can be transformed into rest. If God can make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars, if God can rescue his people from the most powerful and ruthless people on the planet, if God can make bread fall from the sky and then meet and then make water burst forth from rocks, can he not also take care of you and me? Even when trouble starts and the storms of sorrow begin to rage, even when the weeds of failure grow in your garden, when the valley of the shadow of death closes in, when the mouth goes dry in the desert, when all hell breaks loose, yet my Redeemer lives and he has conquered the grave, church. Church, when we fall apart, God builds us up. Church, this is the gospel. Church, while we struggle, God sustains us. While we get stuck, God gets us moving. When we start to waver, God adjusts the waves. Church, we need to hear that truth for, for, for every day. We need it from each other every day. Encourage one another daily. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be behind a pulpit. You certainly don't have to have a suit on. It doesn't have to be Valentine's Day. You don't got to be a preacher. Do it at the grocery store. Do it at the gas station. Do it in your home. Do it at that restaurant. Do it on that Zoom call. Encourage one another daily. We need each other to remind each other that we are in this thing with each other, don't we? We are not alone, church. Your God can handle this. He is able. Pay attention to that unbelief and encourage one another daily. (laughs) If you can do those two things and you can hold in chapel, I know you can. Then you can be rescued from wandering in the modern day wilderness for the next 40 years. It's possible to begin well and end poorly. But it doesn't have to be that way, church. The gospel alternative is to persevere in Christ to the end. So that when we get to the end of our days, we hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now come and enter into my rest. And that rest that we're all looking for is exactly what we're going to hear about next week. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, which is so sobering. As we look at the history of your people and we see all that you did, God, we see the fire, we see the, the bread raining down and the meat and the plagues and speaking through a burning bush and All that you do, God, miracle after miracle after miracle in your history of thousands of years all over this globe is filled with miracle after miracle after miracle of conversion and sustenance and restoring us and building your church so that the gates of hell cannot go against it. And so quickly, God, when we lose sight of the food or the toilet paper, 
or the water and we get thirsty, we begin to fade in our faith. And so God, we need to recognize that we might actually be in that moment right now. The entire world may be in that moment right now where the terrain is looking different and we're having our meetings and we're having our committees and we're getting distracted by analyzing everything from the human perspective. We need to see it in light of your kingdom, God, in light of your grace, in light of your character, in light of your person. We need to see our lives that way so that we go to the grocery store and we go to that office where we work and we talk with our coworkers. We're not fading, but we're preaching the gospel. And we're encouraging one another daily. God, I pray if there's anyone in here who needs your touch of encouragement, would you do that by your Holy Spirit right now in their life? Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you give us a moment just to recognize the unbelief that might be in there? And would you just clobber it down? Would you destroy it? Would you help us to see clearly who you are? so that we don't have to hang our heads and we don't have to be afraid, God, but we can move forward in faith knowing that our God can overcome all of it. This is easy peasy, lemon squeezy for our God. So God, we thank you that we can be honest before you. We don't have to pretend that we've got it all figured out. We can raise our hand and say, I'm just like the person in the wilderness. God, we know that you can lead us into the promised land of rest. So would you show us how to encourage one another daily this week? Jesus, would you, would you bring someone up in our mind that we can give a call or send a text or just sit down with for a couple minutes and just talk about life and share the hope of the gospel with one another? Because if we don't, God, we start to look at the waves and we start to go under. Jesus, your Holy Spirit does this massive work in us. So we now are ready to receive that and embrace that tension that in this life there are tribulations, but God, you have overcome. So God, we look to you this week. Thank you for your encouragement and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.